Good morning, all of you. A few considerations on practice. I'd like to ask for your attention. Um, as in the previous occasions, I basically try um, doing two things. One is an overview, because I know you're all coming from different situations, different degrees of time you spend here, differing degrees of experience you bring along here and different places in your practice where you happen to be in. So I am conscious that what I say is applicable to some of you and not applicable to others. Um, I'm also conscious that you have to make the choice what is applicable and what not. And uh, I'm also conscious that most of us, when given the choice, will default to the wrong thing. And that's just how it is. That's just how learning happens, obviously. If I had the power to make you make right choices, I probably would be tempted to do so. Um, although I had, I'd have ide ideological objections against this, I am not sure whether I can guarantee that I would live up to that lofty aspiration not to do so. But I can't, so that cuts that one short. So that's where part of my teaching comes from, is offering enough stuff for people to orient themselves in. Yeah. And then the second part of much of what I teach is I go into details. Yeah. So from overview, zoom mode, I kind of go in, uh, you know, no longer subtotal and total, but close up, you know, if you want to stay in the Western analogy. Um, and we're zooming in on one particular topic. Now, if you happen to arrive here when I'm zooming in on a particular topic, it may well sound that if you should do that immediately, and that and that only is real practice. Sometimes I can sound that way. That's not necessarily what is meant. I would like you to know it is there. I would like you to know that what you do is one of many possible things. And I would like you to know that the choice what you do is yours. <laughs> Yeah? And whatever you're going to choose, you're going to pay the bill at the end of it. Yeah? You have to own up for your choices. Nobody can take you out of that one. But I believe an informed choice, uh, a choice that knows about options, that has a capacity to reflect on the process that leads to a particular choice, leaves you in a better situation, even if you don't take that particular choice. See, meditation is complicated, more complicated than we admit. Minds are complicated, our histories are complicated. The relationship in, of the factors that bring us to practice and that make us do what we do and make us experience what we experience are more complex than meets the eye. When I started some 30 plus years ago, I thought I'd just get more intelligent if I kept staring at that white wall and practicing my zazen exercises and not believe anything that was buzzing between my ears. I would just be able to get more and more intelligent. And that was good enough for me to get going. It wouldn't be good enough now. It has only turned out halfway, you know. I've only been delivered half of this. But I've been... Uh, engaged with some other projects in the meantime, and I'm very grateful for 
having a reasonably confused opinion of what meditation is that at least got me going and made it up as I went along. And that's all it takes to keep us enough engaged, to keep us enough encouraged, to keep us enough focused on a task so that we find out who we are in that task and we find out what it is that makes this heart free, what it makes uh, that makes this heart happier and um, a more understanding of what, what goes on. Now, and this will be differing things at different stages. And that's where maybe early Buddhism, early Buddhist teaching, particularly in the way we, we hold them here in the West, are not very good. They're not very good at developmental processes. You know, we've got very fine blueprints, you know, how the basic outline of meditation looks like. We've got very detailed little maps but somewhere between the basic outline and the detailed map, there's, sometimes it feels as if there's a bit missing. And as I said, that bit missing is historically has been the oral tradition. Yeah, that's the stuff that wasn't written down, or only very partially. So we're oscillating between a detailed zoom view of something and an overview, and we need to make bridges. We need to make the connections. And that is a developmental task. So sometimes something is necessary that is no longer necessary later on. But it is absolutely indispensable at that moment. And unless we're going to get this together, nothing else is of real importance afterwards. Yeah? It's absolutely necessary that you learn to say no in your life. Yeah? It's not so that no is really a better answer than yes, or the no attitude is, is really you know, the good answer to everything. But it is absolutely necessary that you learn to stop a family outing by saying no at the right moment or by saying no to the spoon of spinach that is being shoved into your mouth. And it's in a crucial developmental stage that you manage to get your boundaries clear. And then it's a crucial developmental stage that you manage to negotiate your boundaries later on and open boundaries and accept challenges that take you beyond what you think you're capable of. But unless you've done the no bit, it's very unlikely that you're going to do the yes bit very well. Same holds true for meditation. So, if you look at the Satipatthanas in that context, then it's probably necessary to learn to still the mind. Quite indispensable to learning skills to still the mind. If you're here for a week, this is maybe all you are going to do. This is not a weekend practice. You know, this whole thing is a lifetimes and probably a multiple lifetimes job. Waking up is not easy business. If you have an idea how formidable the forces of darkness are, yeah, then you, you will be more respectful and more humble in your uh, choice of weapons, basically. If you think this is a, a breeze, then um, good luck. <laughs> yeah, you've probably not not figured out what you're up against. So, if you're here for a week, maybe you can't do Buddhism, uh, the whole Buddhist Santipatthana program, in a week. Maybe all it all that is important is learning to sit, learning to be still, learning to take stock, learning to be with the stuff that happens to bubble up in your life 
and learning to hold it. Maybe you're not going to fix it. Maybe you're not going to make it go away. All you may be learning is just to hold it, to be humble and honest and real and hold the stuff that you have to hold in your life. Not be driven by it, not be compulsively trying to solve it, not be um, equally compulsively trying to make it go away, but just to hold it. You know, th things holding like this. That's the magic of meditation, that you're capable of neither enacting nor repressing, but capable of holding an experience, rather being driven by it or enact the experience or repress the experience or lament about the experience, but establish an inner space in which you can truly hold that experience. That is the first step of transformation. If you're not going to hold it, it's going to hold you. It's going to hold you ransom, it's going to hold you at gunpoint, it's going to frog march you somewhere. You'll be driven by it, by trying to compensate for it, by trying to repress it, by trying to enact it, by trying to convince others of the reality of it. Yeah? You'll be doing a lot. There's plenty of documentation for this. And meditation offers us a space where we can actually hold the stuff. Not because it's pretty or pleasant, not because it makes us feel good, but because it's happening and because the only chance we have to transform our lives into the direction of wholesomeness, of understanding, of heartfulness, of liberation is by willing, willingly hold what we have to hold, what manifests in this heart, in this body, in this mind. And Satipatthana is a tool to help us doing that, which end of Satipatthana you pick up uh, hinges on you. So the first thing I think is probably learning to hold and to still. Still the mind, still the body. That's what Kayanupasana is traditionally for. The second one, Vedanupasana, contemplation of feeling tone, looks at the power of what propels us from uh, jumping from branch to branch in the image of the monkey. Yeah? The second of the contemplations of Satipatthana, that the grasping of the pleasant and the repelling, the repelling of the unpleasant is the prime motor of our attentional focus. If we're not uh, practiced, if we do not observe where our attention moves and make choices in there. The motor for those choices is getting more of the pleasant and getting less of the unpleasant. And if we learn to study that motor more clearly, we have better choices whether we actually go along with repelling the unpleasant and following the pleasant. So the contemplation of the second of the Satipatthana helps us to stop the carousel. It helps us to stop that merry-go-round. The third of the tasks is Chittanupasana, contemplation of mind. I spoke on two occasions about this, yesterday and the week before. And this is the big task. That's where samadhi happens. That's where purification happens. Purification means cleaning. It means getting dirty. You can't clean without getting in touch with that, which 
is obstructive with that which is messy, with that which um, stops you from getting what you think you should get as a meditator. So in many ways, Jitta Nupasana is the messy bit. That's the task where it's a personal task. You can't be impersonal about the messy bit. You can be impersonal about other people's messy bits, but you can't about your own. So that's generally not where we like to go. I don't like to go to my messy bits. I need to feel pretty safe before I'm willing to do that. So I would expect you to be something similar. We generally need safety before we go and make experiments with our messy corners, our messy edges, where we feel unsafe, where we feel, ooh, not sure whether I know how to do with this. So that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to create as much safety as possible. This is about as good as you can get it as a meditator. I've meditated in some very privileged places in my life, and this is about as good as you can possibly get it. If you think this isn't good enough for you, good luck. So learning my own conditions before I can get in touch with the things that make me feel unsafe as part of meditation. Under what conditions can I take risks? Can I let go of my, some of my cherished notions of who I am and what I need and what I don't have and what I lack? All these solidifying images I have, what I can do and what I can't do, particularly what I can't do. What doesn't work for me? So much solidity comes in our life from what I can't do. Organizing my life around things I don't seem to be able to do. I remember trying to give up arithmetics at the age of seven when I was in one of my classes. There was a, a type of calculation I didn't understand. And I just remember deciding this, this was just not for me. Closing my book and starting to take up a drawing and starting to make drawings. And when the teacher came, I just calmly explained to her that this wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah, I had tried it. It didn't work. <laughs> I tried again. I gave it my best. And, you know, that was it. She wasn't impressed. And sometimes we, we, we operate along those lines when we meditate. Yeah, we try a few things and then somehow we don't get the results we expected. And we come to some seemingly reasonable conclusions that, you know, basically we, we will never find the breath or I can't sit upright or focusing my mind doesn't really work for me. I need to do something else with my mind when everybody else meditates. And we kind of organize our lives around these things. And if we look closely, what's there is it's just a simple self-view, a view that has made out of a momentary experience, maybe even ill-perceived, uh, a fixture, a truth around which I'm willing to organize my life, my practice, my decisions. Yeah. So Chitta Nupasana helps us look at this stuff. Dhammanupasana, the fourth of the Satipatthanas, the contemplation of uh, objects or 
of topics of Dhamma, the term Dhamma means, has two meanings in that context. One of them is, means any object, any phenomenon of mind uh, can be investigated. And secondly, the term Dhamma means particular headings of aspects of Buddhist teaching as understood by Buddhist psychology to be relevant for liberation or to be particularly hindering liberation. Yeah? So that's how you arrive at those groups of Bhujangas, awakening factors, khandhas, uh, aspects of experience, uh, ayatanas, sense spheres, uh, and a few more in there. Yeah? For truth are in there in at least some of the collections. So consider what are your resources? How much time do you have? Consider which aspects of practice you feel you need to do. And try to question some of those. Try to look at the big picture. You know, stilling, stopping, investigating, getting the bigger picture. Yeah, those would be a very... Uh, A very rudimentary way of translating these satipatthanas into your understanding of meditation. And then you make choices. And you know what? You can't really make very bad choices because as long as you keep learning from the choices you have made, as long as you acknowledge your choices, as long as you try to bring the greatest degree of honesty and clarity to your investigation, to your attempt, and to the results of this attempt, you will learn. You will keep learning. That's the great thing about learning. Even if you make all the wrong choices, as long as you keep learning, it'll get you on. It'll move you out. In fact, much of learning consists of making wrong choices and surviving and learning what we have done, learning what hasn't worked, learning what we are not. Yeah. So contemplate this when you hear me speaking about small or smallish aspects of Buddhist teaching. This may not be for you right now. Maybe you have to just still your mind when you're here for a week. Maybe this, may, this needs to challenge some of your notions of practice. Teachers need to help you challenge. You know, it's horrible if people make things simpler than they are. And the mind is not simple. Mindfulness is not simple. Meditation is not simple. It's okay to simplify because one of the hallmarks of confusion and ignorance is complexity. But unfortunately, the, the, the opposite is not true. Yeah? Just because it's complex doesn't mean it's ignorant. And just because it's simple doesn't mean it's true. So you're all intelligent, you're all committed, you have all plenty of experience, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Uh, don't play dumb, basically, when it comes to your own practice. You use your intelligence, use your wits. If you feel you're not getting what you expect, if you feel it's not working what you're doing, if you feel you're not sure what of the whole gamut of possibilities in which you can meditate, which one you should take, Spell that out to yourself. An acknowledged uncertainty is a lot better than a, a treacherous conviction. Just spell it out. Spell out 
to yourself what you wish, what you're afraid of. Spell out to yourself what you expect. The more clear your expectations are, the better the chances are that you progress. We are a lot, we're suffering a lot about unacknowledged expectations. So consider this and let us practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.